0: Good morning, Christ Community Church. It's a gift, again, to be with you through distanced fashion this morning. We've been working our way through the core convictions of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, and I I hope and I pray that they have been an encouragement to you in your thinking about these sorts of things, in your communal uh, uh, sort of considering about what a church is called to be. Now, we've made our way through four of the six of those core convictions now, and in so doing, we've talked about things that are or should be common to pretty much every church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've talked about biblical worship and about how that has to be central in the life of the church. We've talked about the need for arms that are open to the world. We've talked about the necessity of teaching and training. We've talked about the beauty of life together. Now, now these truths about worship being at the center, the, the truth about how we need to reach out to the world, that we need to make disciples, that we need to live together in peace and unity and joy. Now, this is true of all churches that profess the Lord Jesus Christ across the whole globe. Now, I'm going to talk today about something that might be a little bit more distinctive. Now, as you know, I'm the pastor of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, and Christ Community Church is itself a Christian Reformed Church. It's a part of the Christian Reformed Church denomination. Now, as you hear that, you might uh, know what most of those words are saying, right? So the fact that we are Christian Reformed Church, Christian, we're followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Church, that's a recognizable word, the gathered group of Christians, but what's this reformed all about? Well there's a lot that could be said about that and if you want to get a really good sense about what reformed Christians believe one of the resources I would encourage for you to look at is called the Heidelberg Catechism a wonderful statement of Christian doctrine that helps clarify the gospel and just in a really helpful teaching tool so you know I <clears throat> invite you to take a look at the Heidelberg Catechism you could google that after the service today, you'll find a lot of what Christians everywhere believe with some distinctive markers for Reformed Christians. Now, as I considered it, as I thought about gracious Reformed living, I wondered, what are the markers of what makes a gracious Reformed church? And I want to talk to you about just three of those. Now, this, this uh, service will jump around more than I do typically in sermons and so Uh, We're going to be looking at truths related to salvation, Scripture, and sovereignty. And I hope and I pray that each one of these will be beautiful to you. Because what Reformed Christians believe, this is a distinctive of Reformed Christians, are truths about salvation, Scripture, and sovereignty. About salvation, we believe that we are saved by grace alone, through faith in Christ Jesus alone. We believe that Scripture alone is the final authority for the church and for every Christian. And we believe in the sovereignty of God, that God is in control. Now, I want to talk about each of these. Salvation, Scripture, sovereignty. So let's jump in. As we start, I want to talk about salvation. And I think the best place for us to look is Ephesians chapter 2. Let me read Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. This is what God's Word says. And you were dead... And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Amen. Before we turn to talking about salvation and scripture and sovereignty, let's pray that God would illumine this uh, passage of scripture and all the passages of scripture that we study and encourage us in this message. Let's pray together. Father, as we consider what it means to be gracious and in our reformed trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray that you would speak and we pray that you would be honored through this message. We pray that if anything that I say doesn't come from you, that you'd make it fall to the ground, pass away, and be forgotten. We pray that everything that's from you would remain. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Having just read Ephesians chapter 2, one of the things that we realize is that Ephesians 2 hits us hard with the reality that we are saved through nothing else other than the grace of God. Ephesians 2 lays it out very starkly. It says that those who aren't in Christ are dead in their sins. That's what verses 1 through 3 says about all of us who are apart from Christ Jesus. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Now note, as the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is saying this in Ephesians chapter 2, he's not trying to say, hey, look at all those terrible people out there that aren't Christians. Look at how dead all of them are in their trespasses and sins. No, he personalizes it and says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You used to walk in this sort of way. This is an important attitude thing for all christians right it's not like an us versus them mentality it's not we are great and they are not it's not that we are special and they are not it's that oh, god is gracious and then i was in the exact same place i was in the exact same place as any one of you that are watching right now who don't yet trust in the lord jesus if you are not a christian and you are here today and you are if you are watching this stream today I was in the same place that you are right now. I, at one time, followed the course of this world. I, at one time, followed the way of the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's at work in the sons of disobedience. I, at one time, lived in the passions of flesh, carrying out the desires of the body. I, at one time, was a child of wrath like the rest of mankind. This is the characteristic of every person who is apart from Christ, we have no power to save ourselves. We follow our passions. And you can believe that, you can believe it, I mean, just totally by taking a look at American life right now. We follow our passions in incredible ways. And not only do our passions show that we are dead, but the ways of thinking that we, in, uh, that we engage in show our death, growing atheism, growing dislike or distrust of Christians, advancement of ideologies contrary to the gospel, hatred and envy and wrath are the norm, a political system that is broken almost seemingly beyond repair, individuals giving for their own good. All of these are symptoms of death, not only in our behavior, our passions sort of behavior where we engage in all sorts of things like, I don't know, like drunkenness and worldliness and And fallen exercises of our sexuality, but also in the way that we think and operate. All of this shows that there is rampant death. This is what characterizes everybody before they trust in Jesus Christ, dead. We can't save ourselves. The devil has those who are not in Christ so confused that everything that they walk in is sin and death. They're in the realm of sin. Now, if our passage was just Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 3, that was it. That'd be a discouraging passage for us today. But there is this wonderful turn of phrase in verse 4. Having talked about how we're characterized before we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and saying that it is death before we trust in Jesus, verse 4 does something amazing. Let me read it. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one can boast. We were dead, but God acted. We were away. We were distanced from God. But God, because he's rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ Jesus. Here is an amazing truth of the gospel, that apart from Jesus, you are more broken and fallen and sinful than you would ever dare admit. But God in Christ Jesus is a much greater Savior than you could possibly comprehend. I'm a great sinner, but Christ is a great Savior. I was dead, Jesus made me alive. If you're a Christian you're here today, you know that at one time you were dead, but Jesus made you alive. If you're watching and you're not a Christian, it means that you are dead and you need to be made alive. I tell you this today in love, you need to be made alive in Christ Jesus. And God makes alive, not through what we do, right? I mean, we were dead in trespasses and sins. If you are a dead person, what can you do to make yourself not dead? Nothing. You have no capacity whatsoever. You're dead. And so for you to be made alive, God needs to act. God needs to breathe into you and make you alive when at one point you were dead. If you're not a Christian, you can't be good enough. You can't do enough to save yourself. You have to cry out to God and, and say, God, make me yours. You need to do that right now even, as you are watching, as you are participating in this service, cry out to God and be saved. Because God saves. God makes alive. God raises from the dead. And Ephesians chapter 2 does not want us to miss the grace that is operating in, in this passage here. Right? Right? Okay, just note how many times here in Ephesians chapter 2, grace is mentioned. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So Ephesians chapter 2 repeats this, grace, grace, grace. And then if we were to miss that repetition of grace, it then just reiterates that this is not of works. It's by grace, grace, grace that you've been saved. It's not your own doing. It's a gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast. You cannot miss in Ephesians chapter 2 the fact that God and God alone saves. And it's by grace alone through faith alone. And this faith is this thing that joins us to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith joins us to Christ Jesus. So what is this, what's this faith? Well, I, I, here, again, the Heidelberg Catechism is very helpful in Figuring out what this is. So it's by grace you've been saved through faith. So faith is this instrument through which we're joined to Christ Jesus and then receive his resurrection and are raised or made alive. And so faith is not a work itself. Faith is just this instrument that joins us to Christ Jesus. Let me illustrate to you what faith is. It, it involves three different things. It's, it's knowledge that everything that God says in his word is true. It's agreement with what's, God, with what's said in God's word. And then it's trust in God, There are three aspects of this. Let me illustrate it with uh, a story that uh, you may have heard before. I've heard it many, many years ago. So a long time ago, there was a famous tightrope walker who stretched a tightrope line all across Niagara Falls. It was from the U.S. into Canada, this, this, long, uh, this long tightrope that was stretched, and he demonstrated to the people that he was the greatest tightrope walker <laughs> you know, that was alive. And he did it in this sort of way. It he, was this long rope stretch, and a crowd gathered right as the rope was being stretched out across, and he said, who believes I can walk across this rope, this tight rope? And the crowd said, we believe, we believe that you can make it across the, the rope. And he, and he was like, okay. And he walked across the rope from the U.S. into Canada, and then from Canada back to the U.S. And the people cheered. He was an incredibly gifted person. He goes, who believes I can do this with a wheelbarrow filled with rocks? And the people said, We believe that you could do that. And he filled a wheelbarrow with rocks, and he walked with a wheelbarrow across from the U.S. into Canada, across Niagara Falls, and he walked back from Canada to the U.S. And the people cheered. We knew that you could do it. And he said, who believes that I could put a person in this wheelbarrow and could walk from the U.S. across this tightrope to Canada, and then what back, and they all yelled, we believe that you could. And he said, who would like to volunteer? And the crowd fell silent. The crowd knew that this man was gifted enough to do these things. They trusted, they knew, they agreed with the fact that he was good enough to do these things, right? Knowledge and assent, knowledge and agreement, but they didn't trust because they weren't willing to place themselves in his care and have him walk across and walk back. Now, as as you see the work that Jesus has done, as you hear about Ephesians 2, and as you see that that God and God alone saves. It may be that you agree with that. It may be that you acknowledge that it's true, right? You know who God is. You know what he's saying in his word. You have no excuse about the knowledge part after today, after we hear this section of scripture. It may be that you agree with the fact that God is the one that can make alive, but do you trust him? Have you given yourself over to him? Have you placed yourself in his hands to say, all right, you are the one who saves. I trust you to rule my life. Knowledge, agreement, and trust. Trust him today. Give yourself over to him. Do more than just say, I believe you can do it. Say, have me, God. That's grace alone. Through faith alone. That's Ephesians chapter 2. Salvation is this first distinctive of Reformed Christianity. Here is a second distinctive scripture. Reformed churches and Reformed Christians understand that only the scriptures... Are to be our final authority. Let me read to you from Belgic Confession, Article 7. This is one of the confessions of the Reformed tradition. It, it's, some, it's some good stuff. I promise. It's good stuff. Article 7, the sufficiency of Scripture. We believe that this Holy Scripture contains the will of God completely and that everything that one must believe to be saved is sufficiently taught in it. Since the entire manner of service which God requires of us is described in it at great length, no one even an apostle or an angel from heaven, as Paul says, ought to teach other than what the holy scriptures have already taught us. For since it is forbidden to add to the word of God or take away from it, it is plainly demonstrated that the teaching is perfect and complete in all respects. Therefore, we must not consider human writings, no matter how holy their authors may have been, equal to the divine writings, nor may we put custom, nor the majority, nor age, nor the passage of time or persons, nor councils, decrees, or official decisions above the truth of God, for truth is above everything else. Nothing is to be put above the truth of God. The truth of God is above everything else. This is what the scriptures tell us as well. Second Peter 1 16 to 21 says this For we did not follow. Cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when He received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to Him by the majestic glory, This is my beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with Him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp. "...shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from, any, from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit." So why is the Scripture our final and only authority? Reason number one, it's true, 2 Peter 1.16, we didn't follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses to his majesty. Reason number two, it is certain, 2 Peter 1.19, and we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it. The commentators say that this either means that the scriptures are more certain than the word of the prophets throughout the Old Testament and therefore utterly certain, or it means that the Old Testament words of prophecy are verified by what the apostles have seen and therefore the scriptures are utterly certain. In either case, what 2 Peter one nineteen is telling us is that the scriptures are utterly certain. They're true, they're utterly certain. Reason number three, they're written by God. 2 Peter one twenty one. for prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Here, Peter is saying that the scripture is the work of those who wrote it as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit of God. Therefore, we can say Peter wrote that and not deny that it's what God said. Scripture is certain because it is a book ...written by God in the words of men who are inspired. Therefore, Scripture and Scripture alone is our final authority... ...because it's true, it's certain, and it's written by God. Why would anything else be the final authority for a Christian or for a church? It should be that which was written by God. It should be the very words of God... ...and not our own inclinations or thoughts or the passage of time... ...or counsels or our own regulations or anything else other than God. God is our authority... Therefore, Scripture alone is our final authority. And last, sovereignty. This gets at reformed distinctive. Salvation, grace alone through faith alone. Scripture, final authority, and sovereignty. The third distinctive of reformed churches and reformed Christians is that we love to emphasize the biblical truth that God is sovereign. Let me read to you from Psalm 115. Not to us, O Lord. Not to us. But to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nation say, Where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. God is in heaven, he does whatever he pleases. God is utterly sovereign. There is nowhere that you can go where he does not see he's in control of the weather, he's in control of human events. He's in control of every being. Matthew 10, 29 says that not even a sparrow can fall to the ground unless God wills it. He is in control of salvation. Let me tell you the words of Jesus. Jesus says, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. You know, knowing that God is sovereign, knowing that he controls all things in the world, all things seen and unseen, This can and should give to us incredible comfort. I remember very early on in my ministry at Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, I received one of those dreaded phone calls early, early in the morning. Whenever a minister receives a very, very late or a very, very early phone call, he knows that something has gone wrong and that was the case here. There were longtime members of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church and this woman, a longtime member. Her parents had been in a car accident, a brutal car accident. Her father had already died. Her mother was just hanging on in the hospital. I rushed to the hospital to get there in time for her mother to be welcomed into glory as well. At the funeral service for her parents, their daughter spoke. And she said something that's going to stick with me forever. She said... Even as I grew up, even as I became a grown woman, for some reason, I always slept better whenever I came back to my daddy's house, because I knew nothing was going to harm me. This was my daddy's house. He wasn't going to let anything do me harm. I've got good news for you. This is my Father's world. What can man do to me when God is sovereign, when He's the one who's in control? You can sleep well tonight knowing that this world is your daddy's house. Who's going to be able to do you any harm? God is sovereign. These are some of the distinctives of what makes a church a reformed church. We we believe that God saves grace alone through faith alone. We believe that scripture alone must be the, the highest, the final, the only final authority. We believe that God is sovereign in everything and all of this is beautiful. It's some of what animates Christ community church, and it should being a Reformed church in this sort of way. And, and, and just let me note one more thing. I mean, we talk about gracious Reformed living, and there's a reason that I want to emphasize that gracious part. I mean, my, my grandfather grew up in a Christian Reformed church in Wisconsin, and, and he said that his experience at a Christian Reformed church, this particular Christian Reformed church in Wisconsin, is that which I, I've heard repeated in various ways by a number of different people throughout my, my life, my 35 years here in the world. My grandpa said, as he was a kid growing up, that he uh, he associated sheer terror with the church and a scowl with the church. He said, Dear God, I, I don't mean to say this flippantly, but I believe that that the minister was trying to scare the hell out of us. Now, When certain people hear about, like, reformed churches, that is the connection that they make, the kind of connection that my grandfather, who became a reformed minister himself, that kind of connection that is made. One of the things that we are called to here at Christ Community Church, all of us brothers and sisters that are engaging in this service together, we're called to a graciousness. We're called to affirm boldly and clearly that God saves, God alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ Jesus alone. We are called to testify clearly and boldly that scripture alone is our final authority. We're called to testify boldly that God is sovereign in the universe. God does whatever he pleases. God is the one who is sovereign in salvation. God is the one who's in control. And we are called to do it with great comfort and joy we're called to do it as gracious christians knowing the incredible grace that has been given to us in christ jesus as ephesians chapter two tells us we are called to operate with grace with each other we are called to be characterized by this comfort and joy question answer two of the heidelberg catechism asks what must you know in order to live and die in the joy of this comfort that you've received and it says three things how great my sin and misery are second how i've been set free from all of my sin and misery and third how i'm to thank god for this deliverance you notice that question? It's in the Heidelberg Catechism. It's a part of the confessions of the Christian Reformed Church. Must, what must you know to live and die in the joy of the comfort that you've received? Here is, here is what Reformed Christians are called to. is a life of comfort and joy. And knowing that God saves by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ Jesus alone, should give you comfort and joy. Knowing that scripture alone is the final authority and not the determinations of your own heart or mind or will or any human being should give you comfort and joy and knowing that God is sovereign in all things and you can rest in him should give you comfort and joy knowing all of this should invite and call you and me and all of us to gracious reformed living amen let's pray heavenly father We pray that you might enable us to live gracious, reformed lives. Give us the conviction that we're saved by nothing we've done, not by works, so that none of us can boast. Help us to glory in the fact that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone in Christ Jesus alone. Help us to submit ourselves to scripture alone as the final authority for our lives and for our church, Help us to find peace and comfort in your sovereignty and help us to be gracious to each other. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Christ Community Church, our good and gracious God, speaks the last word in this worship service. If you're not standing already, I invite you to stand and receive this closing blessing. We believe that Scripture alone is our final authority and the words that I'm about to speak are from the Bible. They're a quotation of scripture. And so as we leave this place, you can know that these are words that God has spoken over you because they are scriptural words. So receive this closing blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.